Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning and welcome back. It's been a busy week around here. If you've been following the Summer Morning series, you know that last episode I was recording from the floor of my parents' office where we were staying because we had a tree fall on our house during a windstorm here in Tulsa and we can't live in our home. Well, we've officially moved into an apartment downtown right above my husband's office and we're going to stay here for a little while. We're, we're saying that we're very urban now, um, but it's been so fun. It's been fun to explore downtown, to be close to his office. And we're going to be here for a while while our house is being packed up and torn apart and eventually put back together. Right now, I'm recording actually from my husband's office, which is really nice because he has a desk and really good Wi-Fi. <laughs> Plus, I have my coffee with the good creamer, so it's the little things. <laughs> Today, for the summer morning series, we're diving into James 3, and we're talking about the tongue. Now, if you've been following along with us, you know that James doesn't mince words, which is funny to say since he's about to talk about how we use them. I had coffee with a friend of mine this week, and we were talking about how we both really like James. We have similar personalities, and the reason that we like James is because he mostly just gives us some black and white directives. He simply tells it to us straight. And don't we just need that sometimes? So for today, he's going to use some intense metaphors, some beautiful metaphors, but he's basically just going to give us the unfiltered truth. And so let's not miss it. That's what we need. With that, open up to James 3. Let's read the scripture and ask our three basic questions. This is James 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So let's start by talking about what we just read and answering the question, what does it say? Okay, here's my list. It says, not many people should presume to be teachers because those who teach will be judged more strictly. Why? Because of two things we're going to hear James talk about, the power and the potential of the tongue. He used several metaphors to convey the power of the tongue. Here's two of them, bits in the mouths of horses that turn the whole body of the horse and ships steered by a small rudder. He also used other, a couple other metaphors to talk about the potential of the tongue. So the bits in the mouth of horses and the ships are about the power of the tongue. Here's the metaphors I heard him use to talk about the potential of the tongue, specifically its potential to destroy. A spark that starts a forest fire, just like the tongue is set on fire by hell and can set the course of someone's life on fire, and an untamed, restless animal full of deadly poison. So in 12 verses, that's a lot of metaphors. We're going to break it down a little bit. So he emphasizes the dichotomy of how we use our tongue to praise God and to curse men who are made in God's image. These metaphors that he uses are mostly from the natural world. He then later talks about, we heard him talk about fresh water and salt water. These cannot flow from the same spring. He also uses fruit trees that cannot bear fruit from another tree. In essence, a fig tree can't grow olives, right? So he's using these beautiful metaphors from the natural world. Essentially, he's saying that if the tongue is used for one thing, it can't be used for the opposite. It's interesting how similar this concept is to what we talked about last week with faith and deeds. James asserted last week that if someone claims to believe in Christ, but their life and actions bear no evidence of it, then they don't actually have faith. He said their faith is dead. Today, as he's talking about the tongue, he's saying that if from our mouth comes evil, we can't also claim goodness out of the same mouth. When I was reading this, I thought, oh, okay, so we're total hypocrites. That's sort of what it feels like, right? We're utterly and humiliatingly hypocrites. And that word hypocrite made me think of Matthew 15, where Jesus called some of the Pharisees and teachers of that time hypocrites. So as I dug deeper, I discovered that James is actually repeating a lot of the teachings of Jesus from Matthew from the Gospels. So I want to zoom in on this to help us answer our next question, why did it matter? Remember that this question is about context, examining James's original audience and his original intent when communicating. 
So we know from past episodes that James was teaching to the new church, the early believers. He was a contemporary of Paul and Jesus, and he spoke mostly to a Jewish audience. So he starts by warning that not many of them should become teachers. And I found a commentary, some commentaries that talked about how teaching was a highly valued and esteemed profession in the Jewish culture. And this paired with the many new Jewish converts who wanted to enthusiastically teach the Christian faith may be the reason that James is cautioning them. I wonder if perhaps he was even cautioning them to just go slowly, like to grow roots to their faith before they begin to speak, which certainly makes sense based on him immediately following this up with all the strong metaphors about the power and destructive potential of the tongue. But like I said, what stands out to me most is how James uses words and echoes the words of Jesus. But I'm actually going to back up a little bit because he echoes the words of Solomon and David too, and then ultimately Jesus. Okay, so if you love this kind of stuff, dig deeper using footnotes in your text. But James echoes Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple from 1 Kings 8 when he says we all stumble or sin. And later, when he likens the tongue's power to that of a fire, he's actually hearkening to Solomon's words in Proverbs 16, when he says that one who plots evil has speech like a scorching fire. And then it keeps going. In Psalm 32, David talks about not being like a horse or a mule who have no understanding and need a bit and bridle. And then in Psalm 140, David talks about men with the poison of vipers on their lips. Remember how James used that metaphor of an untamed, restless, poisonous animal. Well, what I'm noticing is that James is using familiar language here. He's referencing the experts. He's quoting scripture back to his listeners, and I think they would have picked up on that. But most importantly, he's echoing Jesus's teachings on the heart. In Matthew 12, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he calls them what? A brood of vipers. Kind of sounds like what David just said. Kind of sounds like what James is saying. And he calls them this because of the way they use their words. This is the chapter where we get the well-known teaching of Jesus that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many times was that quoted to me as a child in Sunday school or at home? How many times have I re-quoted that to my (laughs) eight-year-old? In Matthew 15, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees on their devotion to legalistic traditions and rituals. In this chapter specifically, he's talking about hand washing. And he says that it is the heart and what comes out of the mouth from the heart that reveal a person's cleanliness, not proper hand washing. Okay, so this seems obvious to us now, but Jesus' teachings about the inward life were radical. He said it wasn't the outward legalistic traditions that made someone clean or holy. It was the heart. And the ultimate test of the heart's condition is the mouth, the mouth, the tongue, the gateway to the heart. So why is this important? 
Why did this matter to James's audience? Well, put simply, I think it mattered because just as James was warning them about their words, cautioning them about teaching and speaking, he was also modeling for them how to do it. The best use of his words was simply quoting scripture and wisdom back to his followers from the OGs of scripture and wisdom, Solomon, David, and Jesus. Why does it still matter? Remember, this is the question where we think about what did we just read and how does it apply to us still? Why does it still matter to us? And thinking about this, I was reminded of our Proverbs study that we did last spring. In the week when we talked about all that Proverbs has to say about words, which it has a lot to say about words, (laughs) we saw that wise words are ones that echo the truth of God's word. As simply as us repeating the scriptures back to God and to each other. And isn't that what James is calling us to do too? We can't produce wisdom apart from God. It doesn't come from within us. We shouldn't follow our hearts. That's another soapbox for another day. So if we want wise hearts and thereby wise words, we've got to know God and what his kingdom means for the world around us. We have to study scripture. So when we use our words to interpret the world around us, we're filtering it through the lens of what's good and true and beautiful so we can understand God's kingdom breaking in. Okay, we may not be teachers, although I guess that's what I'm doing right now. (laughs) We may not be teachers, but I do think our tongues reach a wider audience than any generation before us. What we post, what we repost, what we text, what we voice memo, what we yell, whisper, sing, and say, all have the power and potential to set our lives on fire. Or put as Tim Mackey from Bible Project says, our words tell the real truth about our character. Shouldn't we handle this with greater care? I was chatting with this same friend this week. She's totally going to be like, oh, I made it on the podcast. Not really. But I was chatting with her this week about the ways that we talk to our kids and both of us were reflecting on how we could do a, a better job of speaking gently to them. And I was, I was driving home. I thought about how I could do a better job of speaking gently in general. I wasn't beating myself up, just reflecting, just letting the truth of Jesus and James's teaching soak in a bit a nudge to handle my words with a bit more caution and care. Why does this still matter? All of this, because I think we can all use the nudge to handle our words with a bit more caution and care. As we close today, I want to offer a few practical ideas for how you might do that and then end with a liturgy. Okay, here are my ideas for you. Memorize scripture and quote it back to yourself, your kids, and your prayers. Take a note from Solomon and just simply use God's own guaranteed wise words to be the ones that come out of you. It is a slam dunk. It's why we have our kids memorize scripture. Let's put it in them. Let's put it in us. Okay, the next one's really hard. (laughs) It's try to hold back and practice being quiet. Silence if you need to, but just try to be more quiet during the day and think about 
how difficult that is. Think about what that means for you. The last one is don't post post as much. Or if you're not a big poster, stop reading so many other posts. (laughs) Just check the volume of the words you're either letting flow out or flow in. I think sometimes we can get ourselves off the hook by saying, well, I don't really post that much. I'm not one of those people. But how much are you reading? Just check the volume. It's amazing how much we let in. And as we do on each of these episodes, I want to end with a liturgy for you. This one's a bit longer, and I'm going to cite it in the show notes for you. But it's really beautiful, not written by me. I'll tell you more about it and then share it for you. This is a liturgy for your words written by Kate Lab from a series called Made to Create. I'll link this in the show notes and on my website. With words you created, with words you contained, the sky, the seas, the earth, the trees, sprouted up when you called them by name. You've made yourself known through these sounds that come from human mouths and by human hands then written down. You condescend to your creation through words, and then the word made flesh came as babe and grew up as a man and took the cross to bear our sin, who took a human heart and mouth to redeem them, the word. And every day in the same vein, we imitate your creation but not perfectly, for this function of image-bearing has been perverted by our sin. The ways I speak the truth or hide it, when I text with malice or humble kindness, by the tone to my husband I respond, with the words I train my daughter and son, by the way I gossip with my mom, God, these words can be poison or balm. These words can create and bring you glory, and these words can distract and can destroy. Our words build up or they tear down. Our tongues set fires and can put them out. And now, these words are all around us, typed and texted and written down. Creator God, make us more like you. Create in us hearts that are new, transformed to pour out your beautiful truth through our mouth, our mouths, to these image bearers you've placed around us. For you have created and crowned us as creators and namers, powerful makers like you. What a responsibility. What an honor. We recognize the burden and the power of our words. Through these words and the word you gave us as your own, every day, I will aim to create, to make you better known. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We only have a few more episodes in our summer morning series on James. So I hope you'll dig in a little bit more on your own, read through it, think about it, answer the three questions on your own, tell a friend about what you're studying, whatever it is to help kind of drive this home for you. 
This week, I have two interviews that I'm working on, and I'm really excited. I'm a little nervous, but I'm really excited. Um, Can't wait for you to hear those beautiful stories. So with that, have a great week. Thank you.